Welcome to another episode of Space Flicks, the podcast where we review a movie and decide if it's worth the cost of beaming out to space. And let me tell you, I have a feeling like we are all going to start feeling like our astronaut pretty soon because he's like, I'm all alone with nothing but movies to comfort me. Mm hmm. Yeah, he he's long forgotten what he's out there for. <laughs> His actual mission was. Right. He's Na- just been sitting watching movies, right. and eating popcorn. NASA space like popcorn. beams him little messages from time to time. They're like, so like about those uh, samples you were supposed to yeah. gather. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely still working on that research. <laughs> <laughs> Gathering the samples. He like looks I'm out the window. Taking it's just the blackness. measurements. He's like, "What am I supposed to be looking for again? <laughs> Why is anything anything?" Right. Uh, what day is it? <laughs> he like he like forgot where he put the instruction manual for all of the equipment on all of the research <laughs> equipment on board. He forgot the combination. He's been lock looking for it. Yeah, to the locker. Right. And he's just like, "Oh, how do I get the meters out? How do I get the gauges?" Okay, so this week we're talking about the Irishman. The Irishman. The one and only Irishman. Uh, The latest from Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. Martin Scorsese? Scorsese, yeah. I feel like a theme of this show is I always ask you the director's names. Well, when you just see them written on the internet mostly and don't. Well, I feel like I've also heard both pronunciations. Yes. Um, Anyway, this uh, this is his. First, correct me if I'm wrong, his first feature-length film with Netflix? Yes, yeah. Well, did he do something else no, with No, actually, that's not true. Oh, he did not? the Bob Dylan Rolling Thunder review oh, okay. as well, which was well, like a then. fake, it was like half documentary, half not documentary. I don't barely even know what you're talking Scorsese, about. So Scorsese has uh, like an ongoing relationship with a variety of the streaming and um, like premium cable services like Mm -hmm. he's done various things for hbo as an example so like he definitely as an artist sort of experiments with other distribution methods other than like strictly theatrical release i would love to see i didn't even think about it until just now i bet he had a pretty awkward conversation with steven spielberg because he's you know the anti-netflix guy nah i feel like spielberg gave up on that pretty quick you think they didn't even have to have an awkward conversation? He just made the Irishman, and then Spielberg was like, "All right, fine, right." If well, that's how you feel about well, it, well, honestly, Martin. like I feel like in some ways Spielberg's like, "Wait a second, I could get a yeah massive give, give budget it like three years, and right. there's going to be a Spielberg movie coming out on Netflix, right?" Especially when because the only other thing is Scorsese negotiates, as a lot of these directors do, theatrical releases for their movies. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? And so it's like, technically, yes, everybody gets what they want. <clears throat> I mean, how widely was The Irishman released? Do I, be- I don't know. Probably, probably like in select dozen, dozens of theaters. Yeah. Not like not that many. I don't think so. Scorsese is a little bit more. He's a major name, but he's a little bit more, you know, of a of an artiste as opposed as opposed to Spielberg. I feel like limited release wouldn't fly for Spielberg. No, Spielberg. Spielberg. Like, like, I only make movies that come out in. Right. 6,000 screens. And they're like, there's not even that many. And he's like, 6,000. <laughs> right. Double and up. I want this in space. <laughs> right. Right. This podcast brought to you by Steven Spielberg. Uh, okay. So anyway, uh, The Irishman, a uh, very long movie. I think it's three <laughs> hours, three and a half. 
something like that. That's our review. <laughs> it's very long. <laughs> Moving on to the next movie. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sort of describing the movie. It's a, it's a, it's a epic. It's a gangster epic from yeah. Scorsese. Yeah. Do you, do you want to do the uh, synopsis? Or is the screen too far away it's from you? Very far away from me. Hold on, okay, stall, well, stall just, for a second. I'll do it on my phone. Okay. Well, I already called it uh, an epic gangster movie. Although it's maybe calling it a gangster movie isn't exactly right. It's got certain it's gangster elements. Is, yeah, there's certainly uh, the mob is highly involved in the movie. Um, but but it's a movie about. It's really about re- a few relationships. Yeah. It's. I mean, I was gonna say it's kind of just about some old guys who have some messy relationships yeah and i would say you know if you can allegiances if you compare it to a movie like uh like i apparently compare every movie to goodfellas Mm -hmm. um another scorsese crime epic that movie is very um educational about like this is how certain things work in the mob, right? Mm-hmm. This is what you do. This is how you plan a heist. These are the terms that you use, right? And I feel like the Irishman has some of that for sure. But and I th- what painting houses means, right? Yeah, or like, um, yes, precisely, or certain uh, the way that you would um, conduct a hit, or the way that they dispose of guns, or things like that. But I generally don't feel like this movie is about trying to help you understand the nuts and bolts of how like crime works i feel no. like it's trying to explore a relationship between just a few people mm-hmm. ultimately mm-hmm. and these people just happened to live in a world of organized crime sure right so uh the synopsis of the film yes an aging hitman recalls his time with the mob and the intersecting events with his friend jimmy hoffa through the 1950 through 70s okay there you go so uh, let's get right into expectations. I think we're both, surely we're both fans of Martin Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, what were you expecting going into this movie, and how did you feel uh, immediately after watching it? Uh, I, was, I was expecting something, I think, I don't know perhaps why, uh, a little more on the energetic side of Scorsese's sure. filmmaking. I was like, oh, like mob movie, <clears throat> De Niro, Pacino, Pesci. Like these are old guys though now. I know, but like <laughs> Pacino can still yell like sure. really well. He's mm-hmm. a good yeller. Um, and so, f- and I just sort of expected it to be. He yells in this movie. He did. Yes, that's true. Yes, I did. I did come for Pacino, some Pacino <laughs> high volume stuff, and I got mm-hmm. some Pacino high volume stuff. Um, but uh, I, I was expecting it to be a, like sort of a maybe like an epic with some high energy across a long period of time. I knew that time was like a major component mm-hmm. of this movie. I knew about the de aging technology, et cetera, right. and so um, that was. Uh, that was what I expected was something, you know, like I've seen more than one Scorsese movie where organized crime is like a major facet. And those all tend to have a particular energy to them. And I sort of wanted or expected Mm -hmm. this to have the same thing, but it was much more contemplative Mm -hmm. than that. Mm -hmm. Okay. What about you? Um, I was expecting something more like this. I don't know. 
if it's because I heard. I don't honestly remember what what factors influenced my uh, expectations, but I was expecting something slower. I think it's just, you know, Pacino and De Niro are older. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scorsese is older. Yeah. Um, I was expecting more of like an older man's take uh, on, on, you know, on like Goodfellas. Right. And, and I feel like that's what we got. Um, I think, I think I had heard someone describe the movie as, I think specifically I'd heard something about how, oh, the violence in the movie is very, um, like perfunctory, uh, like it's not exciting, you know, like seeing people right. get killed. It's not this high energy, high, um, it's not like filmed in a way that, that gets you pumped and stressed out and, and, and feeling really anxious. It's just kind of, it's just kind of old tired guys just shooting people, you right. know, just cause they have to. Right. Cause it's like, it's like their turn to do it. You right. You know, kind right. of thing. Um, and so that's, I feel like that's, that's pretty much in line with what I was expecting. I would say as far as first impressions, I definitely liked the movie. Um, but I feel like, uh, I, I do feel like it was very long and the sort of thing, it sort of reminds me of, um, I felt similarly about, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood uh-huh. that I enjoyed the whole thing start yeah. to finish but didn't feel like after it was over, like I'd be particularly compelled to watch it again. Right. Um, in the case of, and it's also similar in the sense that that statement I just made, it's true except with the exception of there were a few highlights that really stood out as I wouldn't watch the whole movie again, but there are these like key moments that sort of, that were bright spots for me that I'll yeah. think back on and sort of, I don't know if I'd like watch them again just because it'd be weird to like rewind just to that one scene to watch it again. But, um, but it will stick with me and I like talk about, yeah, there's something, um, about the movie that, uh, I'm reminded of a line from the movie Magnolia, uh, where the Jason Robards character is an old man on his deathbed and he's saying to Tom Cruise, his son, he's saying, he says, life isn't short. It's long. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he sort of opines on just how many regrets he's accrued over the course of that long life, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, the Irishman is in part about that feeling, and the length of the movie is a way for you to just like get yeah. this feeling of like so much time has elapsed. So many this. things happened. Right. He's he's been he they have been through so many things. Yeah. And he has things. He the main character is is played by Robert De Niro, mm-hmm. Frank Sheeran. Yeah, is that's right? right. Um he has he has much to remember fondly but also much to regret. Right. Um it's it's like heavy. I would describe it's sort of the sensation of the movie which I think is a success because I think I think this is probably part of the intention of the movie is you sort of feel the weight of his life mm-hmm. at by the end of just a lot of this right. stuff happened and I got to carry it with me. Right. You know, some of it's stuff I'm not proud of. Some of it's some of it's stuff that I wish could have gone differently. Right. Um, 
and those things you tend to uh, focus on and and yeah, they're the ones that kind of weigh you down. Yeah, and so in that regard, I agree. I, I the Irishman is not uh, like I'm looking back at Scorsese's filmography, and if I like as recently as 2013, he's making The Wolf of Wall Street, which is mm-hmm. like a high energy, yeah, yeah, enjoyable high energy movie that's very rewatchable, mm-hmm. right? And I do not, and I feel like he is doing something entirely different right. with the Irishman because you are, I think, to, to your to use your word, you're supposed to feel that that heaviness, that weight, that sort of like the crush of time, just sort of like changing you, and like the distance as time progresses, the distance between where you are now. And some point in the past where you made a choice that you sort of hoped uh, the split that you created days, you know, days, weeks, months, years ago could be healed. And all that's happened is time has like widened it and worsened it. And mm-hmm. you're, you're that much farther from the point you wish you were, mm-hmm. you know? And so I feel like, the length of the movie is a way to sort of make you remember, make you feel like the distance of memory, mm-hmm. you know, like there are certain scenes at the beginning of this movie that by the time you get to the end, they themselves as a viewer feel like, Oh, that was so long ago. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and so, and I think that is uh, the the sheer the sheer length of it in part helps reinforce that feeling of like the elusiveness of the past. Yeah, I agree. Um, we've kind of already gotten sort of drifted into what the themes of the movie are. I yeah, think that's a big one. Um, there's, uh, I mean, I'd say this is maybe this still falls under regret and the weight of your past, but. There's definitely a, a a recurring um theme in the movie having to do with his his relationship to his children. Yeah. Um and I do think I do think it's it's kind of part of the same it's another side of the same theme, but I think yeah, like your your role as a parent and how your children see you and how that what that says about who you are as a person mm-hmm. and what, what yeah. value you provide in this world, I think is, is something that is very much um, like a focus of the movie without ever really being explicitly in the, like in the story of the movie. Um, I don't know how to put it best without getting into spoilers, but um Maybe, maybe, maybe once we get into spoilers, I can express that thought a little better. But yeah, um, but that feels like another theme to me. Yeah, the way you're viewed through the eyes of your children as being sort of a true uh, representation of who mm-hmm. you are, and what all the things that you say, the 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 stories you tell about yourself to yourself, mm-hmm. right, are very uh, meaningless when you're faced with the reality of how your children perceive you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I, I, I definitely know the point. I, I, I know specifically what I want to say about that later in this conversation. Okay. Um, but I'll save it for spoilers. Cause I, I just don't want to really talk too specifically about it. Cause it could be 
viewed as a spoiler. Yeah. Um, what else? Do you feel like there's any other major themes we haven't touched on? Well, I mean, friendship, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, um, I think in some ways the movie is about sort of a friendship triangle, right? Mm-hmm. Not like a love triangle in the yeah, traditional between sense. between Frank, Jimmy Hoffa, and Russell. Russell. Russell, yeah, Russell Bufalino. Bufalino, who's the uh, who's one of the mob bosses. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And friendship. The the tension between friendships. Um. What lengths you will go to for a friend. Right. right. The limits of friendship. Right. And ultimately, the idea in that triangle situation, um, the idea of choosing. Yep. Right. And so, yeah, I think it. It's very uh, 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 two people talking about a friendship between two people mm-hmm. is very simple, right? Uh, because they are friends or they fall out of <coughs> friendship, right? But it's like um, the only things that matter are the way those two feel about one another. But in this particular movie, because it's a triangle, right? Like the way one friend wants you to feel about your other friend. Mm-hmm influences the way that you feel and act right yeah i i feel like the to me what you're sort of hinting at right now and maybe i'll just say this very uh vaguely and then we can move right into spoilers because you know we should get into spoilers sure we're getting too specific but i think of it less as friendship and i feel like I will say a question I feel like the movie kind of poses to you is what's the difference or what's the sort of where's the line between loyalty and being forced into mm-hmm. a situation? Mm-hmm. Um, because because the, some of the dilemmas you're talking about as far as um, – Frank's friendships in the movie. Sure. Yeah. I think you could very easily interpret as having very little to do with friendship Mm -hmm. and more with something that's kind of in this ambiguous zone between is he doing this out of loyalty or is he doing this because he just has to? Yeah. Um, so like I said, I don't want to get any more specific without, without giving things away. So, uh, Let's just say any other themes uh, you want to mention before we get into spoilers. Nope. Then let's get into spoilers. Do it. Do the sound. Ooga. That's the one. Um. So. Uh, Been practicing. <clears throat> so we, we next we do like best parts of the movie, but um, but first, I'll just kind of complete that thought. So. Probably the biggest. I mean, to me, like the biggest plot development in the whole movie is when Frank kills Jimmy. Right. Yes. Um, and to me, what I was getting at is it, it's like Frank is a, he views Russell as a friend for, it's definitely how they're presented throughout most of the movie. And Russell's like, I like you, you know, and like you're a good guy and we're friends. But as the sort of plot continues along that particular thread, it becomes like less and less tenable to me to hold the view that Frank is acting this way because 
he just likes Russell right. and values his friendship with That's Russell true. the most. It's like, no, he would not kill Jimmy as a favor to a friend. He's doing it because he knows he doesn't really have a choice. Yeah. He's been picked by the mob, and Russell is kind of... He's kind of, you know, um, dispelling the illusion in a little bit, a little bit yep. in that part of the movie of like, yeah, I know we've kind of been acting like friends this whole time, but actually I'm your boss, mm-hmm. you know? And actually I have a lot of power over you and I can hurt you. And mm-hmm. it's never stated explicitly. Right. But I think Frank just recognizes he doesn't really have a choice because these are violent people. Yeah. Um, he, his family you know, bad things will happen if he doesn't just do what yep. he's basically being instructed yep. to do. Yeah. That's why he acts the way he does. Yep. Which, which, which definitely gives the movie a sense of tragedy to me. I think what he carries with him to the end is he obviously did not want to kill Jimmy. He liked Jimmy. Right. Um, and, and I think it's, I think a big part of the movie is this exploration of, what it means to to be a person like this who feels the guilt of who will like live his whole life with the guilt of what he did because it sort of feels like it was his action but it also in the moment there were no other true options available to him yeah i think i think you're right and i think um in some ways the thing that makes it more tragic is that unlike almost any other relationship that Frank has with any other person in the movie, it does feel like he and Jimmy, like while initially they were put together in sort of a professional capacity, Mm -hmm. right? Like they chose to become friends with one another. Yeah. They hit it off. You know what I mean? And and yeah. Like unlike, and they were in such a situation where neither really had, uh, the power of life and death over the other, right? Mm-hmm. For the most part, until like the very end when Frank basically did, right? But like, I feel like they chose one another as friends and un- and that is why Jimmy felt like he could say anything he wanted to Frank mm-hmm. and Frank mm-hmm. could tell Jimmy like, you're wrong. Like these people are, you know, they're ser- like, he could, they could be relatively honest with one another Mm-hmm. and so when frank is they were actually friends and so I when feel. yeah i agree and when frank is to your point basically coerced or strong-armed into murdering his friend mm-hmm. right like it's the only one he's got yeah right and every other relationship he's got to your point is influenced by some sort of implicit you know very powerful uh power dynamic that he understands so wordlessly and so like subconsciously that he doesn't even like consider the idea of trying to like break out of it. Right. Yeah. The movie, I think Frank is treated, um, as fairly impenetrable in the movie. There's only a few parts where you get a clear sense of how he feels about something. Right. Um, like for example, in the latter, in the last 20 minutes of the, I, I don't remember the precise placement of the scene, but I remember him saying, maybe to a therapist or something, or 
social worker, I don't remember. He he says like, who makes a phone call like that? You know who? Right. And and it's one of the few times in the movie that you see Frank actually explicitly expressing regret. Yeah. And and any sort of and sort of like disgust. any sort of guilt over himself. Yeah, right. His yeah. own his own actions. Um. But uh. But but much of what we're talking about um about his motivation is all sort of you have to as an audience as a as a viewer you just have to kind of interpret his actions yeah. and kind of understand and and I think you know to De Niro's credit and to the whole cast credit I think all the acting is really good and I think you you do understand his motivations even though they're never stated yep. and never explained um but but I think when it comes to murdering Jimmy, certainly, but there's plenty of other murders he commits in the movie and things he does. Right. And you just kind Which of understand. he doesn't seem to feel bad about at all. He doesn't seem to, but I guess what I'm getting at is I think he's just a man who understands. It's like he's a man who sort of sees what he needs to do and yeah. just does it rather than, right. rather than um, agonize over it. Like, like it's the same way with Jimmy other than some like disappointed expressions on his face. Right. And some maybe like he might like sigh a few times or, or, you know, like things like that. It's not like you see him break down in a bathroom right. or, 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 or his hands shaking or him sweating. It's like, I have to do that. You know, like right. there, this is just what in this situation I'm in, there's no other option to me. So I, now I have to murder my friend. And I think it's the same throughout the movie of there's no joy in what he's doing, you know, right. like, okay, I got to go kill whispers, you know? Right. Um, I understand what's being asked of me. I understand that if I don't do what's being asked of me, I'm going to be the one getting knocked off. Right. So I'm just going to go kill this person now. Right. You know, um, <clears throat> that to me is, is maybe one of the most it's, it's one of the parts of the movie that, uh, or I should say like, yeah, one of the, one of the traits of this movie that is most interesting and unique to me. And it's sort of like what stands out to me about this movie is just the portrayal of that kind of attitude of this kind of work. Yeah. Um, where, you know, a movie like Goodfellas or, or, you know, a lot of other gangster movies, it's like either, either you have, the, the weird sadistic types of characters who, yeah. who clearly enjoy yeah. you know, violence and doing things like that. Or you have the sort of troubled characters who really struggle with mm-hmm. it. This is this kind of new take to me mm-hmm. of the character who doesn't find any joy with it, but also is sort of like has a, has a disposition or a, you know, has a constitution that's just like not wavering. Right. Just sees what needs to be done and just does it. But um but yeah, but joylessly and and and, and kind of mechanically. Right. Just a job. Right. In some ways it's just like the the line of work he's in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think even that I think what not to read too much into your phrasing, but like the the phrasing like just a job, that suggests a certain callousness to me that mm-hmm. I think also is like pretty common you see like the sort of the cold hitman or whatever who's just right. like you know i'm I, i'm amoral i just right. do i just do whatever like a bounty hunter type character right. like the the mandalorian right um at least how he's supposed to be in like sure. the first episode or two. right 
Um, that sweet baby. Until you learn that, that he has yeah. a heart. Yeah. Cause that's what that series is about. Um, but, but no, I mean, I, I really do feel like this is a relatively fresh take. It's like, it's not callous. It's just not hesitating either. Right. I, I just, yeah. I'm having trouble articulating, but it's like what it's, it's like, it's like you take that kind of character who in another movie would have, would have all of these, all of this inner conflict would like be on the screen, mm-hmm. uh, would be on display, yeah. you know, and that'd be what the performance is all about. Right. It's like, it's like he has it, but he just like fast forwards through all the struggle. Right. And it's just like, okay, I'm not going to waste my time wringing my hands and sweating and crying. I'm just going to go do it. Even yeah. though I actually am sad about it. Right. I don't like doing it right. at all. You yeah. Know? yeah. That, that's, that's what I, that's what I really like about this movie. Um, and what, you know, and what leaves me with a very sad, uh, like definitely my sort of main emotion that I associate with this movie is it's, it's very sad. To me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is also definitely not your typical Scorsese, you know, like Scorsese typically is like, I'm going to show you a bunch of bad people and you're going to leave the movie feeling like weirdly exhilarated, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like I know they were bad people, but I kind of want to be them, right. you know, or at least just like, at least I could sort of like, I liked imagine being, being I liked being in their company yeah. for yeah. two, two and a half hours. Yeah. Right? This is, this is not that you don't really want to be in these people's company. I mean, right. Maybe except for Jimmy. Yeah. Because he's the closest thing to like a like kind a, of a good person. Like a living, vibrant person. Yeah. Who yeah. like enjoys things. Still still <laughs> himself has some, you know, has some ethical uh, uh Oh sure. Less let's let's call it like he's not he's not a uh he's not a an angel, you know, sent to earth. Uh but he's yeah, he's got he's a lot more He's a lot more like a like a sympathetic real person, right? Than let's say Russell, who who kind of knows how to act that way, right? But when it comes down to it, his behavior is actually quite monstrous. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, another thing I wanted to get at. So as far as relationship with kids, um, I think they're. I don't know. I I'm aware that some people were pretty upset about Anna Paquin's character. Uh, having like no lines in the movie. She has, I think she like has one, very few. One or two lines. Yeah. Um, and you know, I actually don't feel like I have much of a take on that, but I will say, yeah. um, his relationship with his daughter specifically that she plays Penny. Um, what I find so interesting or about Peggy. it, Peggy, Peggy. Yes. Uh, what I find very interesting about it that I wasn't quite sure, uh, how to, dance around before spoilers is that kind of similar to what we were just talking about with all the, with all the murders. Um, he never, like we never hear him state how he feels about his daughter. Totally. Never talking to him. Uh, It's like, it's at one point he goes to the bank and that's right. That's right. And he he wants, he's like, I just want to talk to you. Yep. Right. And she won't, doesn't say a word to him. Yep. Um, so that's true. So th- there's that, and there's the fact that at the end he says, you know, she never talked to me again after that or something like that, or we've right. never spoken since. Um, but it's just so skimming the surface. You know, it's like, right. it's like I think it's another, it's an element in the movie that, for me at least, you know, and every, we all bring our own interpretation to a movie, but for me it seemed like 
he's clearly very unhappy. Like he's he has a ton of regret about this. I I, right. I, I feel I she's feel like, like it the, couldn't be clearer. She's like the embodiment of his regret, right? Yeah. Like and and yet and yet it's just like he never talks about it in the movie. Almost never, you know, like right. other, other with those few exceptions we just said, but it's it's just like not explicitly addressed. It's just it's just shown, you know, mm-hmm. what their relationship is. Probably the closest thing actually is when they're at the bowling alley and Russell's talking to him and he's like, you got to, you know, kid, you got to have a b- good relationship with your kid. You know, she shouldn't be afraid of you or whatever sort of right. like mentoring he's trying to give him. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I know. Right. Um, and it's just like, no, this is not okay, man. <laughs> right. You and your daughter, this is a problem. Well, I mean, And by that point, she's what, like 10 years old yeah, or something, something like, like that? that? Like you're already in a bad situation. You're gone. Yeah. yeah. You're, 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 it's, it's one, one of sort of an interesting mental exercise for me about this movie is like, when did Frank go wrong? You know, I mean, I guess it was just choosing to get involved in the mob, you know, is basically yeah. what it comes down to. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's sort of, I don't know. The movie succeeds to me in making you sympathetic for Frank, even though there's really like very few redeeming things about him. If you think like he mostly only does bad stuff. Right. Um, So it's kind of an interesting portrayal of like a character who you feel, at least I felt bad for because it seems like he doesn't want to do all this bad stuff, but it doesn't change the fact that he's doing all this bad stuff. And so you kind of understand why his daughter doesn't want to speak to him. Because she's like, my dad's a bad man, basically. Right? Yeah. I'm. Um, there was a recent controversy in the news where uh, Woody Allen was going to publish a memoir. Oh, and okay. Ronan Farrow, his son, uh, you know, because they obviously are on, on totally uh, antagonistic terms at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of shamed the publisher into mm-hmm. not publishing the book, mm-hmm. right? And so the publisher pulled the book. And the publisher's argument prior to that point was, well, if we don't publish it, somebody else will. Okay. Right? <laughs> Which is a very uh, self-serving mm-hmm. argument. Mm-hmm. Because what you're saying is, um, yeah, so what if I, like, no, I'm not weighing in on whether I think the publishing of that book is good or not. Right. But uh-huh. it's like, but you're, what you're saying is like, sure, like this doing this thing might be evil, but like mm-hmm. if we don't do it, somebody else will do the evil thing and we might yeah. as well, we might as well make money on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, no, mm-hmm. like, because yeah, like somebody else might do it. Sure. But that doesn't mean that you, but you can't therefore control have someone to else. do you it. You can only right? control yourself. It's like, well, yeah. I have to make money, right? <laughs> and I sort of feel that way about like, in some ways, like Frank's decision making, right? Where he's sort of like, he's like, well, you know, like somebody's got to do it. Sure. Right? Yeah. I might as well be, you know, and I might as well get paid. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, Frank, <laughs> you don't have to make that choice, right? You could yeah. actually go do any other number of things. Now, once you're in the mob, you basically can't get out, I'm presuming. But, like, you know, to your point, it's like, when did Frank go bad? When he was sort of like, well, you know, somebody's going to get rich. It might as well be me. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, that. that is the attitude that leads to ruin. Yeah. 
Yep. I uh <clears throat> I don't know. I I uh I think I think you're 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 totally right that that um the movie's sort of uh it's sort of like a statement about that kind of that kind of rationalization or sort of a, a a cousin to that which is well, if I don't do this you know, sort of like I don't have any choice because I if I don't do this there'll be negative consequences for me. Mm-hmm. Right, which is which is something that could could be true after you've already made some bad choices. You know, like right. it's sort of like not taking responsibility for choices you made in the past and yeah. saying, but now I have to do this, right? Mm-hmm. When the clear alternative would be, um, maybe you've gotten yourself into something so deep that the only way to stop the damage is, yeah, you are going to have to sacrifice something. Right. You know, that might mean your life. Right. Who knows what it will mean. Um, but, but there's sort of a, there's a, an attitude that I'm sure we all have to some degree that like, I shouldn't be held accountable for something that's over and done with, you know, yeah. there's no undoing that. So right. let's just deal with, the situation we have today and it's like no but we're in this situation because of you yeah so you need you do need to own that right? yeah michael madsen has a line in the movie kill bill mm-hmm. or is it kill bill 2 either way where he's like he says you know that woman deserves her revenge and we deserve to die yeah yeah right? and it's no, like totally because exactly he like right. he gets it he's like we are in <clears throat> this at yep. this point so we can try to get out of it sure yep, yep. but we deserve to die Right. And I think in some ways the the just outcome, the one of the things I really loved about the Irishman was something that no other I've never seen another mob movie do, which is throughout the movie, there will be freeze frame moments on a given character and it will tell you how they how they die. (laughs) Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's like you're not going to see this in the movie. Right. Right. But they're going to be assassinated in their kitchen. Right. Yeah, so they're, much of it is, is they're going like to be strangled, shot in, twelve times in the face. Right. Uh, they're going to be strangled in a car. They're going to be, you know what I mean. And it's, it's just sort it's, of, it's so many violent deaths that I seem to recall. There's like one character I don't remember who it is, where it's like everybody died, likes him. died peacefully in his sleep, and it's just like, <laughs> and it's just like, wow, what what the such the exception to the rule, you know? Right. But I remember it's like when he's walking away, and everybody's like, everybody likes him, yeah. right? <laughs> And it's like, yeah, yep. he died of old age. Yeah. Um, but it's so rare. Every right? other one of these guys that all get shot or burned or thrown off of the roof, you know. Yeah. Violent deaths all around. Yeah. Um, and it just goes to show, like, the bill <clears throat> comes due for every single one of these guys nearly, right? Because they've all decided to make expedient choices in their life that were that allowed them to get rich pretty quick, right? That had some sort of, like, moral or karmic you know ballast tied to it right and it just catches up with them eventually nearly all of them right um and i feel like this movie does a great job of explaining that weight in a way that i don't feel like most other gangster movies try to reckon with yeah Agreed. So we're supposed to be, I think, uh, we we haven't really been doing this very explicitly, but I think we're in the segment where we normally talk about best parts of the movie. Sure. Um, So earlier I talked about how there are certain sort of scenes that would stick with me. I think, I mean, it's kind of almost like 
uh, too obvious to even state, but this the scene where he does end up murdering Jimmy mm-hmm. is is I think like the emotional climax of the movie for me. Yeah, where it's just so shocking isn't even the right word because you sort of know, you know it's, it's coming, happen, but it's yeah. still something about when it happens. The fact that even up until the last millisecond, Jimmy trusts him. Right, that he's little like, let's cry, get out, let's get out of here, Frank. He lets yeah. out, yeah, right when he shoots him. Oh, it's like that would haunt me for the rest of my days. Yeah, you know, um, if I were Frank, and I, I mean, I think it basically does. Yeah, right, totally. Um, but that scene is so. I mean, I think it's so good because it's not even that. It's not so much that moment, right? It's the whole lead up to it, where yeah, the car ride, the fish from like. From the from the dialogue that probably happens a good ten minutes or more earlier, when Frank is talking to Russell and Russell's oh, like, oh, it's like thirty minutes earlier, but yeah, yes. and Russell's like, don't call him, right, right. We're not going to meet. You're not going to meet him. Mm-hmm. Don't call him, right. And then you're suddenly like, oh no, they're gonna kill Jimmy, and right. it's this like sinking feeling, like. Right. That's what's gonna happen. We did everything, and then we could. so much stuff happens and before that, yeah, um, because it takes you through like Russell's like you know don't you're not gonna go and meet with them, which means at the time like my thought was oh so, so they're gonna send somebody to kill him and Frank's not gonna be there to help him right, but then it's like there's a change of plans right you're gonna go do it right right. And he doesn't even tell him that. Frank just understands right. that that's what's happening. Yeah. Right. Um, and then they're and then you know and then they meet his son, mm-hmm. and you're like, what is happening? Right. So for me, it was just. I think you know we we sort of talked already about a little bit about this movie sort of helping you feel the weight of the life that mm-hmm. Frank is living. And I think that scene is a great sort of like micro example of. You are feeling the just impending dread yeah. of of you're going through all of these motions and you know you're having pleasantry you're exchanging pleasantries yeah. and you're doing all this obligatory stuff on the march towards killing your friend. Yeah. And it's just kind of I don't know. I don't know that I would have felt this way at the time, but sort of reliving it in my head, it's like a little excruciating. Yeah. You know? Um, there, there's something about the movie that like has this death march quality to it. Yeah, very right? much so. It's yeah. just it's this inexorable walk to this awful conclusion. Yeah, right. And it's like, and in some ways, we're like relishing every step. Right. It's like it's like you can't hurry it up. Yeah. Right. I feel like in a in a, a maybe a lesser or um, maybe just a less sort of thematically insistent movie i feel like you would say like but this is kind of a slog so let's mm-hmm. like let's punch it up to to get no, to our tragic no, end it's that would like, be a totally counterproductive right part. but it's like no the point of this is like all of this hit all of this history and the especially in that last act of the film right like the waiting mm-hmm. just to you know frank would love i'm sure like to your point he uh he sees what has to be done and he just does it mm-hmm. right and that last act of the film sort of just shows like he can't just get it over with he has yeah. to like sit and wait 
and yep. like sit next to his friend that he knows is doomed. Yep. Right. Yeah. And not say, and when his friend and when Jimmy's like, you got your, got your piece, right? Yep. Like, yeah. You know, implicitly to protect me. Yep. yep. Right. And he has to basically say, like, lie, look his friend in the eye and lie mm-hmm. and say like, yep. Well, I mean, he's not lying. He's not lying, but, but he's lying. Right. He's lying in spirit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just like all of those little moments, to your point, are just grueling. Right. Yeah. They're they're just really heartbreaking. Thinking back on them. Um, but a lot of the movie. Yeah. You know. I mean, honestly, I, I think I'm almost feeling more emotional about it now, talking about it, than I did watching the movie. I think, which is, in a way. Uh, I I feel I want to say it's it's I'm going to give the movie credit for that because I think right. it presents things so matter of factly. It's not trying to to manipulate you emotionally emotionally as it's showing you what what's happening. Right. I think it's just it's almost like helping you perceive the events from from Frank's perspective, yeah. which is very matter of fact. Right. You know? Um so, yeah, I thought that was, I mean, yeah, like to, like like you said, that might be a good 30 minutes of the movie, so it might be weird to call it a scene, but right. um, that's definitely this a very strong part of the movie that stands out to me. Are there any other parts that would be worth calling out from your perspective? Um, the, the dinner honoring mm, Frank. Honoring Frank, yep. Right. Uh, I really loved, um, because that is... I, in some ways, like the last gasp for that yep. set of relationships as sort of like a healthy set of relationships. Right. Yep. Um, and I feel like lots, lots of, uh, mob movies have amazing scenes at weddings or parties in general. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that just felt like, it just felt like of a piece with sure. that. In right. That, in that ca- class. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is the last gasp. It's basically the last, um, it's the last scene in which the way that Russell and other mob characters are talking about Jimmy is like, let's, he has a chance to live. Let's try to talk some sense right. into yeah, him. Yeah, like yeah. we don't, and, 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 uh, I mean, I've mostly been talking about Russell as basically a villain, which I feel like he is. Right. But, but I also believe that in the story of the film, he does like he would prefer for Jimmy to live, right? He's like, I like Jimmy. Sure. You know? Well, I mean, it's like, <clears throat> yeah, Jimmy is a powerful person who is allied with me currently, right? At least mm-hmm. on on paper, he is. Yeah. And it would be much more convenient to keep a powerful friend, well, right? Yeah, but you're you're saying it in the in the sort of utilitarian way. I'm I just mean, I feel on like a human level. I feel like Russell, I feel like he's kind of got this like human layer to him. Yeah. That's like, that's like, as a person, I like Jimmy. Sure. I mean, my operational concerns far outweigh that. Yeah. But like, if he'll step out of the way, that would be my preference. Then we don't have to kill him. Right. Because I do like him. Right. Uh, But, you know, I mean, if we have to kill him, then obviously we're just going to do that. Business comes first. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But, um, so anyway, that I I that's kind of my take on it, and I think in that scene, that's basically what he's saying, you know. And when he reaches out to Frank, he's like, you know, try to talk some sense into him. I mean, we're gonna just let him know we're gonna kill him. Like we don't want to do that. 
Right. But that's what's going to happen. And then, um, and then when it finally, you know, then later in the movie, when it is pretty much that his fate is sealed, Russell says, and I feel like there's a little bit of, I think he's being somewhat honest where he's like, we did everything we could do for him. You know, like point being, I did actually try to, to save him kind of. You know, right. just by basically spelling it out for him that you you better step down. Right. Um, but yeah, that's what that that's what that um, that party scene is. Yeah, is sort of like this is what it looks like for a mob boss to have some compassion. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, and it's sort of the same thing that uh, we were talking about earlier, where Russell's like Russell does have a choice, mm-hmm. right? He acts like he doesn't. Right, we did everything we could. Mm-hmm. It's out of mm-hmm. our hands now, yep. and it's like, well, you, you you're the hands, yeah. right? Like, um, you're the boss man, right? And so for him to act like, well, there's nothing we can do. He's got to go, right? Like, you're basically saying, well, like this this business requires us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like the business is what you choose for it to be. Well, right. So so that's actually, I feel like we're getting to a theme that we didn't talk too much about, which is, um, which is something I will say on a very small level, I can relate to somewhat, which is when you, when as a person who has power relative to other people, but there are also people who have power over you. Yeah. How you can be part of a system and feel like you have really no choice or no agency. Right. Uh, but the people who have less power than you look to you and can clearly see that that isn't true. Right. Yep. Um, and I think there's sort of like tears to it. Like if you, if you consider the relationship between Frank and his daughter, I think his daughter is so disappointed in him because from her perspective, it's like, you do have a choice. You're, right. you're choosing to do all these things. Whereas from Frank's perspective, it might be like, I don't really have a choice. You know, this is, right. I got to do it this way. Meanwhile, from Frank's perspective, Russell totally has a choice. He's like the right. man in charge. But from Russell's perspective, it might be like, I really don't have a choice. I mean, you know, like, this is what the mob I, wants. Yeah, Angelo needs me to Angelo, do this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and... And, and so it's sort of like, well, where does it end? You know, in, right. the, in this system, everybody feels like they have to do things a certain way. Right. Um, and I, I, I don't know if I actually, I can't remember what I actually said. I, 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 I feel like I relate to that as, you know, as a person who has people who report to me at work. And I know sometimes when I like express the way things have to be. Right. They might be like, you can change this. And then I might sort of be like, feel like I kind of can't though. You know, I know to you, it seems like I could, but then I go up to people above me and it's like, I can't really change it. And then meanwhile, they're like, yeah, I can't really change it either. You know, it's somebody (laughs) above me. Um, so it's just interesting. So I feel like that's a theme, the sort of dichotomy of like feeling powerless when to other people, it seems, I think rightfully so that you do have, you do have the ability to choose. Like basically the, the, the idea that, the feeling of powerlessness is almost like a a, a, a shared delusion, you know, mm-hmm. like everybody yeah. feels sort of powerless, but the reality is we all do have a choice to make. Right. Like Frank didn't have to kill those people. There would have been consequences for him. Right. But he didn't have to do it. Russell didn't have to decide that Jimmy's going to get killed. Right. There would be consequences for him, 
but he didn't have to do it. Like, and there's I, always consequences to everything we do, and we tend to just choose the things that have the, the least, the bad fewest bad consequences yeah, yeah. for us, and, the, and then claim that we don't have a choice. Right. Right. Well, if, like, well, I want very <clears throat> b- few bad things to happen to me, therefore <laughs> right. I have to do... I'll treat that as fixed, like a fixed requirement of my right. life, is I'm going to operate in a way that minimizes bad things happening to me. Right. It's like, okay, well, then you made that choice. You made the choice if that's how you're going to live your totally. life. Totally, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's what, I think what's, what we're getting to is that's what is weighing Frank down. Right. Is he made that choice and... Over and over and over again. Over and over again, right. That's the principle he decided to live by. Yeah. And now as an old man who, you know, I don't know if there's something to be said about the fact that Frank gets to live to be an old man at least. Right. Um as does Russell. Uh, but, but, but you know, what's funny is Russell decides, you know, start going to church. Well, at the, <laughs> at the end, uh-huh. right. To end his life. Right. Oh, is that, I actually forgot. That's what happened. Right. Like Russell decides he's like, okay, well now that like the good part is over, over. Right. How does he end his life? I'm pretty sure he just poisoned himself. or something. Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. S- sort of, sort of embarrassing i don't even remember that it's very close to the end i remember him going to church that's what i remember well and he's him like being wheeled to oh th- does he like have one like final confession or something well he says something to frank and sorry sorry to the listener that we are trying to just remember a movie but like he says to frank like you'll see right mm-hmm. like i hmm okay well but, something like that anyway I can't, I can't remember all the context there <clears throat> but anyway your point is but like um, Russell sort of understands, he's like, oh, when this life is no longer good for me, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? I'm just going to check out at that yeah. point, yeah. right? And Frank doesn't have that same mentality. Frank would rather live sit, with it, live with sit it and sit, it. look out an open door and hope that somebody he loves or somebody who loves him mm-hmm. will come in. Right. Yeah. And of course, like the tragedy of the movie is like there's nobody coming. Right. Uh, yeah. And What's it's there to love. Well, you know? I'm thinking back to the that same party sequence where uh, Russell sits down with Frank and he hands him a ring. Right. Mm. And he says, you know, only three people in the world have one of these and yeah. only one of them is an Irishman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's it's. And then from that point forward, this is, it, it feels like a gift, but it is like a leash, right? Yeah, it's both. And, and it's like, I <clears throat> kind of own you now, right? <laughs> like, you don't want to have to give back this ring, do you? No. Right? Think how prestigious this ring is, yeah. right? And I feel like Frank allows himself to be seduced by all of these, yeah. uh, little symbols and gestures of power, right. Of, of, of prestige and how he has ascended only to realize at the end, like all you've got is a ring. Yeah. I think it's back to the loyalty versus imprisonment. Right. Thing, you know, the, the theme of, of it's, it's sort of like you look at it through, through this lens and it looks like loyalty, but you change your perspective and look at it through this lens and, Oh, he's actually trapped. Right. You know? He actually, it's sort of like or he, the or, behavior is the same. The outcome is consistent, whatever the input. But, but really, what looks like loyalty 
it looks like a man, um, the actions of a loyal friend are in fact the actions of just a, a, a hostage. Right. Right. Or a man who <clears throat> believes him or like believes he doesn't have a choice, certainly. And to our earlier point, it's like you always have a choice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, what about fix the movie? Anything you do to fix the movie? Make it um, twice as long? Yeah, definitely make it double the length. Take every scene where people are just looking at each other and just have them look at each other twice as long. Right. Just, well, just basically fill those additional three hours with Pacino. Pacino's good. Yeah. They're all great. I mean, they're all great. I mean, I, I think lo- De Niro, Pacino, I, Pesci, I think Pesci's great. I think he's sublime. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I you know, it's funny because I'm so accustomed to like, <laughs> Joe Pesci, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Home Alone, Joe Pesci. Home Alone, Goodfellas, yeah. right? Like that, Joe Pesci. And uh, his performances in this movie is, to you, I, I think to your point, like, He's he's actually kind of the villain of the movie. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. But in at no point in the he's movie not, he doesn't does seem his like performance villain. tip that? No. Does the movie tip that? Right? He's just this little old man, right? Yeah, and he's and he's very soft and he's um he seems like a nice guy. Right. He seems like a grandfatherly you know, warm paternal yeah. uh, character, but I but he's like, kind of the source of everything bad. <laughs> well, and I feel like um, even in the moment in the restaurant where he's basically telling Frank and he's like, "It's what it is," yeah, right. And they go to the um, the airfield and he's like, "Give me your sunglasses," mm-hmm. right? And he waits there mm-hmm. for probably hours, mm-hmm. right? Um, even in that moment where I think that where that is probably the most villainous his character appears, mm-hmm. it's still not like a typical mustache twirling, I'm secretly bad no, not at all. kind of performance, right? Or like I've been bad this whole time and now I'm revealing. I mean, it, it's more right? like a stern parent. Totally. You know? It's like Yeah. It's like uh it's it's like him saying, like, look, I don't like to use this tone of voice with you. Right. But you're going to have to do this. Right. You know, um, it. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It doesn't seem I mean, I, I'm calling him the villain sort of as a simplistic, like an oversimplification. But I, I, I think that's the closest. You know, I think that's the most accurate way to describe his role in the movie. He's the he's the force of of basically Frank doing bad things and bad things happening in Frank's life. Right. And so, like, when I think about the performances in this movie, it's like De Niro, I feel like, is doing giving a great performance, but is still, like, a De Niro performance, mm-hmm. right? Pesci is – or a, a Pacino, excuse me, is a just a very Pacino kind of performance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with his Chicago accent, right? Like, <laughs> um, And Pe- Pesci is, like, it's a character I haven't seen before from an actor who I've never seen give that kind of performance before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would Um, agree. That's like, and it's kind of like the most interesting and it elevates the movie from sort of a typical, I I think he is the thing that elevates this movie because everybody else is sort of, um, coloring inside lines that I've seen drawn before. It's more familiar to see them in roles like that. Right. I would agree. 
and Pesci is like he's just this thing that doesn't fit in mm-hmm. a in a in a typical movie, but this movie is perfectly tailored to him. Right. Well, let's not forget Ray Romano, who I really liked. <laughs> I really liked. Ray he was Romano great too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I like seeing Keitel. Right. I just it's yeah, it's a lot of the characters. Something right. about this movie is like seeing, you know, uh, a classic, you know, band like get mm. back together mm-hmm. and then they play and you're like, they still got it. Right. Like, yeah. Except what is Pesci in this? It's like, I don't remember him being that good. <laughs> right. That's right, not even totally. it though. It's, it's like his style has changed. It's like, it's like, you know, the guy, the, the, whatever, the guitarist used to like shred on mm-hmm. his guitar. And now he's playing like these like sad, slide guitar parts or something you're like it just like his style changed i haven't seen him play like that um yeah i would agree with you i think pesci's the highlight uh in terms of performances and just not like not like the objectively best performance but the highlight like this is the one that's most interesting to me and yeah stands out it's the one that i think about the most i i did while you were talking, I did think of something as far as fix the movie. Yeah. It was, it's not a real gripe. I don't, it didn't like make me enjoy the movie less, but we talked about it afterwards. I feel like it's just a little weird that the movie's called the Irishman <laughs> and De Niro just doesn't seem Irish at all. In right. The movie, to me. Well, I mean, and we're making stereotypes right now, obviously. Right. Like, sure. I mean, I guess so. I mean, you could have, it's like, am I saying no Irish person acts like that? No, but, uh, but I mean, it's called the Irishman. I yeah. just, I, I think that's, it's more that like, if it was just called something else, right? Uh, like they didn't have to call attention to him being Irish, right? Right. If they weren't gonna make him seem Irish in any way, I think, I feel like it's supposed to be that he's kind of an outsider because it's all these Italians. Totally. And he stands out, but he sort of like, at the same time, becomes this accepted part of them, but he, but he's always different. Yeah. But I'm just like, it's De Niro. I mean, he just <laughs> seems like one of them, you right, know? Right, And I know they like gave him blue uh, contacts or whatever. Right. But yeah, I just, I just feel like it probably shouldn't have been called The Irishman or they should have actually gotten... De Niro to seem Irish, or since I doubt that you could even do that, right? <laughs> had a different actor play yeah. the main role. As 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 good as I think De Niro is, I do think he does a great job. Yeah. Um, but it's almost like I feel like I just pictured De Niro, you know, meeting with Scorsese and then being like, okay, we're gonna like try to make this Irish, and De Niro just kind of like looking at him, and then Scorsese's like, fine, you don't have to do any Irish stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. Yeah, the interesting part, I mean, there's a few interesting parts. Like, the first is it's based on a book called I Heard You Paint Houses, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you could have called it that, right? (laughs) You could have called it what the book was Uh, called. Secondly, uh, my understanding is, you know, De Niro and Scorsese were looking for a project for a long time, and like, one would bring a project to the other and be like, what do you think about this? And be like, eh, I'm not that into it, right? Mm -hmm. And that this was the one that De Niro brought to Scorsese and was like, this is it. Let's Mm -hmm. do this, Mm -hmm. right? And Scorsese was like, I don't know, another, like, mobster movie, right? And and then, like, De Niro explained, you know, like, the themes of the movie and what was really resonating for him. And and it's like, 
oh, so this is exactly the part that De Niro wanted I to play. So. I guess so. Right? Um, and it's just sort of funny that they're both like, yep, Irishman. <laughs> yeah. It's called The Irishman. It's about this Irish guy. Who's going to play him? Me. (laughs) (laughs) You? Robert De Niro? Um, Anyway, I mean, like I said, it it really didn't in any way hinder my enjoyment or appreciation of the movie. Right. It's more just odd, I guess. I will say something that was a little distracting for me, uh, but ultimately I think is, is fine. Like, I still quite liked the movie, and I don't think... I would even, you know, remove uh, even a fraction of a letter grade for this. But, like, the digital DH oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. is distracting. There's that, there's that, too. I mean, yeah, it's the sort of thing where, you know, I, for one, wouldn't mind if uh, Scorsese pulled a George Lucas. And just redid it 10 and years like from in now? In 10 years, yeah, just kind of redid it and, <laughs> yeah. and made it way better. Because it's definitely not bad. I mean, I would say... I would say it's distracting, but I don't know. It's like it's 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 below the threshold for me of like so distracting that I can't pay attention to the scene. It's just yeah. It's just oh, okay, that doesn't really look like real. (laughs) Right. It just doesn't look real. It looks a little off. I will say if it's a spectrum, I would say it's well beyond as in like far better than uh, General Tarkin in Rogue One, or Princess Leia in Rogue One. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. but I mean, Tarkin was just very—that was so absurd to me. I'm right. like, it just looks like an animated character, which it is, right? <laughs> right. Um, yes, that, I, I was like mind blowing that they would have even tried that. I was shocked by that. <laughs> I was like, why do this? <laughs> you what are you doing? You could have done anything else, and they—and you know—they blew like probably a huge amount of the budget just have him look out the window and have like a vague different actor and it's also not in any way important that it be this character totally (laughs) not that not not like not that we need to pick on rogue one right now um rogue one's pretty good but yeah no i mean it was it was way better than that right it's it's but i would say it's like way better than that but uh i mean i'd say probably like a step below even like where let's say i remember in uh the latest Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yeah. Right? Kurt Russell. It's like, wow, he looks really good. Like, that looks right. really impressive. Yeah. Um, it was definitely not at that level. So, yeah. somewhere in between. I, I, yeah, I feel like Marvel <clears throat> also did the same thing in Endgame with uh, Michael Douglas. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and it looked really good. Was it... Am I getting that right? Was that my, was that, that one? Or was that uh, Ant-Man 2? I don't know, but... Either I way, right. when yeah. they did it with Michael Douglas, right? I was like, oh, yeah, and they did it with Michelle Pfeiffer, too. Yeah, and I was like, they look great. Yeah, they so they've got the technology. Whoever does the Marvel movies. Right. They, you know, I, I sort of get it. It's like different visual effects companies are sort of like, it's not like they're going to give away their techniques. Right. So it's being de- independently developed at different places. Right. And it's a little farther along at some places than others. Yeah, so. it's it, and it's one of those things <clears throat> where in some ways... um you wonder if the de-aging technology is actually sort of a blessing in disguise um, because it reminds you as you're watching young De Niro as an, exa- you know, in air quotes, right? Relatively, young De Niro, yeah. right? That it's like, this is going to become like a, an old man, right? <laughs> like, true. Um, and in some ways, if it, it, it even, I could see a world where you make like the, 
the thematic or metaphorical case for it. Cause as he's looking back on his own life, right. If this, if this whole thing is about memory in a way, right. And Frank is looking back on his life and he's thinking back to his earliest memories with Russell, for example, right. He can't, he can only, he can't help but think about the person he, this young person he's remembering is going mm-hmm. to become. Yeah. Right. Um, and so in that regard, I do feel like the movie, uh, it just, it just works regardless of, you know, the, the quibbles we have with the technology. I agree. It does work. I don't know if I'd get, I mean, I think you were, you were hinting at saying that it almost like helps the movie just now, right? <laughs> which uh, is a bridge too far for me. Uh-huh. Um, I, I mean, I, I think I get what you're saying, but I'm like, yeah, if I had to pick, I'd still have the technology be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, rather than like, no, it still kind of looks like old De Niro, which is like helps you connect that it is going to become. I'm like, I don't think it's supposed to, though. I mean, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't like you like you wouldn't use the technology in the other direction. Right. To like take like young actors make them like look weirdly not quite real, but mm-hmm. a little bit older. Right. <laughs> to be like, cause they're going to get older. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remind you of this. It's like, why would you do that? Right. Yeah. It's like, I feel like we've basically accepted that you can use prosthetics to make somebody look older, but you can't use them very effectively to make somebody look significantly younger. Yep. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I think what you can see that in this movie, like they, they make him older. Yeah. Right. And when he, in, nursing home and that looks very that looks great because yeah. prosthetics have are pretty well refined you yeah. know art form at this point point but um yeah <clears throat> give it five years or less i'm sure every movie is going to be able to de-age pretty well sure pretty, pretty it'll just be another thing that you know that filmmakers have at their disposal right i mean practically already is but it's just not quite perfected yet um so I think we've gone through all the major uh, segments. Um, time to decide whether we should beam it up. This is that decision point. Okay. Would you do it? Would you beam it up? <sighs> Something I vowed on our last podcast that I didn't do was I was going <laughs> oh, to calculate. I was going to calculate. I was going to calculate the bill. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make a decision that's a little. Um, that's a little strange. I'm going to say I wouldn't beam it up. I also am not inclined to beam it up. However, I want to acknowledge something. Yes. We did beam up Ford versus Ferrari, <laughs> and I actually feel like this movie's better than Ford versus Ferrari. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying right now is I feel like we made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I think at the time we felt kind of starved for good stuff, you know? Yeah. It was sort of like the time, the oh, context wasn't it matters. Like- it, it was, was like we had right at the beginning of good movie it was, season. Yeah, that's right. It was one of the first. It was like October or something. Yeah, and it was like one of the first good movies that had come out in a long time, and we we're like, just darn it, we're gonna beam this up. You right. know, like he needs some good stuff. I think we might have beamed up one or two other things, like, like we might have beamed up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or something. Yeah, but, but, but now that we're at the tail end of having just beamed up you know, just like eight movies in a row or something. Right. I'm like, yeah, this one was more worthy than that one. Right. But now that we've beamed up all these other ones, it doesn't, it doesn't, to me, it's not like 
one of the absolute creme de la creme best movies of the year. It's it's a very good movie, I think. Yeah. Um, I have no qualms with it having been nominated for an Academy Award. I think it. Yep. Was I think it belonged on that list. Yep. But yeah, I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't beam it up. I mean, it's not. <clears throat> it's certainly not like gonna stick with me as like one of Scorsese's best. Right. Um, well, I think for me, like uh, this conversation and my thoughts about this movie have proven like I find it to be a very rich movie that it that rewards thought. And mm-hmm. um, there is just sort of like this real strong vein of melancholy for me when I yeah. think about this movie. And I'm realizing that that's like my own bias in a way that's that leads me away from saying uh, that we should beam it up because I realize that one of the things that I want in movies, and this is just my own personal preference mm-hmm. is like to feel good. Right. Yeah. Or, or, or excitement or exhilarated. Right. Yeah. And so Ford versus Ferrari, you know, right. Even though I think it is probably a lesser film mm-hmm. overall, than this it was definitely right. more entertaining it's like i just you know cars go fast go vroom vroom right yeah, yeah. and the irishman it's like you know it's this meditation on regret and you know the inexorability of you know this sort of final you know point of just utter despair mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's harder to say you're excited about Right. And yeah. that's just my own. That's just a personal preference thing. <clears throat> right. Yeah, As a, well, it's a personal preference, but it's also like I think most people have that preference. You right. know, um, very few people that I know anyway have sort of like, uh, you know, are, are like, I love watching slow, contemplative, melancholy movies. Mm-hmm. I can't get enough of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? right. Um, right. That's. Uh, I'm maybe those people, I mean, I'm sure those people exist, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think that's part of it. Um, also this movie's very long. So beaming it up would cost like twice what it costs. It's like, it's like two Ford versus Ferraris. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're not going to beam it up. I mean, we both clearly appreciated it. Yeah, for sure. And feel like it's an important and, and impressive work. Yep. Um, just not quite at that level. However, I think probably neither was Ford versus Ferrari. Right. Life isn't fair. You know, uh, you know, deal with it. You get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. <laughs> All right. That's right. So are we done? Yep. That was the Irishman, ladies and germs. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan. I'm Adam. Bye. Bye. Bye.